Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York. Now it's time for Spot on Sports. Here's your host, Mike Trezor and Mike Cadone. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spot on Sports, New York's premier sports talk show where we talk sports, all New York sports, and nothing but New York sports. My name is Mike Trezza, the great Michael Anthony driving the truck for us tonight. We've got plenty of sports to dig into tonight. Heavy, heavy dose of Yankees. Giants and Jets later. We've got a special guest uh, that we'll introduce after the break on Zoom. Before we do any of that, let me show some love and say hi to my partner and co-host, the coach, Micah Doan. Trez, great to be here again. You know, we were thinking and talking before about football, and the the quote came in. I think it's a Yogi Berra quote. It's getting late early, so, so it, which I, I didn't want to drop the cat out of the bag. I don't know where we're going with that, but obviously, I mean, anybody can tell three weeks in. But thank goodness for the Yankees. I never thought I would say that in my life, but yes, thank goodness for the Yankees. And and we we're talking. Uh, also, Nets, Knicks. We have a little bit of background, it, you know, if necessary later on. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a rough stretch for my Mets. But let's get to the the important stuff. Yeah, and you know what? Before we bring on our Yankee reporter Declan to talk about the Yankees, I just want to tell you a quick uh, story, Mike. Very funny. Uh, so you know, um, I got out of my afternoon class at four thirty, and I said, "Well, you know, I don't want to get to the studio too early. I don't want to annoy Michael Anthony. You, you know how he you don't need be. the prep time. You're ready to go. <laughs> exactly. So I said, all right, I got time to get something to eat. OK, so I stop at my favorite hero shop, Jersey Mike's. Oh. And I plug my phone number in there and I find out I've got enough for a free hero. There we go. I'm a happy guy, Mike. I said, it doesn't take much. Not only am I a fat guy and I love to eat, I'm also a cheap guy and I don't want to pay for what I eat. So I sit down to this. Delicious hero. I take one bite. I swear to God, this story's true. Okay. I take one bite. Guy walks in, red socks. Oh no. Jacket on. Uh, I was like, dude, what are you doing? I wanted to pull that jacket up over his head and just start pummeling him. I said, you know, you're like ruining my dinner the, here. The vibe is just killed. Yeah, the, the sight of you, <laughs> the nerve of you coming in here while I'm having dinner and with that red sock jacket on. So uh, I can't take it. Did, um, did you finish the sandwich, though? I did. Okay. I, I managed to choke it down. Come on. It's a free sandwich. No matter who's in there. Uh, so, folks, the one team right now that is going great is the New York Yankees. We're going to start with them. To help us do that is our intrepid Yankee reporter, Declan Krogman. He joins us on the phone right now. Hey, Deck, Trez, and Coach Mike, how are you? How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to talk to you. It's been a minute. Hey, sorry, can you guys hear me? We're good, Deck. Yeah, we got you. No problem. Apologies. Happy to be back. It's been a minute. Yeah, so um, uh, let's get your reaction to the sweep Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night of the Sox up in Fenway. Yeah, really just a great way to get the job done, uh, handle business up in Fenway. Big thing there that a lot of people forget about is that that Red Sox team won seven in a row going into that huge series with the Yankees. And the Bombers marched right into Fenway and got the job done with a big-time sweep. Hey, 
Mike, I know you're a big Yankees fan. There's no way that that wasn't the best series win you've had for them all year. I mean, that was fantastic. You do have to give a little bit of a disclaimer, though, Declan, because the, they did beat up on the Mets. Uh, here I am. It's, I'm a self-deprecating Met fan, but no, <laughs> seriously, they they did a, a Sox did a great job going into that series, but the Yankees uh, really were not tested. It seemed in those games until you know late Sunday. I mean, the the first two games, it was it was all Yankees all the time. Yeah, it was all Yankees. Uh, got out to big lead in both those games, uh, and then in Game Three, we saw that really sloppy. Uh, seventh inning on national television, which is always a great time to drop two pop-ups in a row, <laughs> uh, especially from two gold glovers in DJ LeMahieu and Joey Gallo, who's an excellent fielder who has one of the best arms at baseball, if not the best arm at baseball, battling with Hunter Renfro, who is number one in assists over there in Boston, who's in that matchup there. Yeah, I'm going to give uh, DJ a little bit more of a pass than I'm going to give Joey on that series, uh, Declan, only because they even talked about it multiple times during that series, how because there is no upper deck in Fenway, that ball sort of blows back onto the field. Um, but with Gallo, I mean, I, I don't have any excuse. They were trying to find one on the broadcast, but there there was none for him. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That's a play he's got to make. And I agree with you with DJ that we have seen times where First baseman and third baseman have struggled with pop-ups at Fenway Park. It's nothing new, obviously. The stadium's about as old as dirt. Uh, although, no disrespect to Fenway. I love Fenway Park. It's the best stadium in baseball still. It's a shame that they got swept in their own ballpark. Actually, no, it's not. It's not a shame because the Yankees <laughs> won. It's not a shame at all. Uh, but the one thing that kind of goes by the wayside that people don't really like to mention is that T.J. LeMahieu was an everyday second baseman and he was playing second base, first base, and third base. Now he's finally trying to get accustomed to playing third base every day. The Yankees did a big switch around in the infield. So I'm not going to get on him too much for dropping a ball, especially that was in foul territory. It was a tough play to make. But I agree with you that Gallo's got to make it. There's no excuses. That was not a tough play at all either. Declan, you make a great point because in that series as well, uh, home team, Kevin Euc uh, not Kevin Euclid, boy, I have that on the brain. Uh, <laughs> Kyle Schwarber playing first base for the Red Sox, although he's not a gold glover, uh, mishandled a pop-up as well. So the home team having issues there. Um, you know, we, we can get into the Yankees hitting, of course, but how about the pitching? in that series, you know, Garrett Cole is, is one thing, but when the rest of the staff is doing the job also, you as Yankee fans have to be very, very encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we could look at the offensive explosion in game one and game two and how they hit so good in situational uh, spots there in game three. But really that seventh inning, those unearned runs that came in due to Joey Gallo and DJ dropping those two balls that made it a three, two ball game. That was what gave them the lead. It was a 2-2 game. So through seven innings, even in game three, the game that they really had to put up a fight to win, they really took it from, uh, from Boston, if we're being honest. Boston was outplaying the Yankees through, through seven innings. Uh, they took it from them. And the, you got to hand it to the pitching is that they gave the offense a chance to be in that game. Hey, Two runs through seven innings. Hey, Declan, I want to ask you about the um, pitching matchup for the series that starts tonight up north of the border. Tonight you've got Ryu uh, for the Jays going up against Tyon. Now, are you surprised that uh, Boone was willing to give Tyon a start this late in the season? Uh, no, I'm not, and for a few reasons. One, uh, Jameson Tyon is going to be somebody that the Yankees are going to have to rely on in the postseason. Postseason is all about pitching. 
uh, and with the exception of the Rays, these American League ball clubs really have good pitching at the top. Yankees can rely on Cole all they want, but they're going to have to really trust some of those pitches like Tyone, uh, Montgomery, Kluber. So seeing how they play out is going to be big. Another thing that's going to be uh, huge that we'll see tonight that if hopefully history can repeat itself is that the Yankees beat up on Hinjin Ryu historically uh, over the past two seasons since he's been in Toronto after coming over from the Dodgers. So that's something I would watch out for. What I like even more is that they don't have Garrett Cole going up against him today. So they'll have Garrett Cole tomorrow. This would be a nice quick two games to steal to win the series early. That would be the plan, and hopefully it goes according to plan for the Yankees because I like the matchup the way they based it out here. Cole gets Berrios tomorrow night, and then the season finale, uh, or the series finale Thursday night, Kluber joins the, uh, draws the tough assignment against Ray. Right. So that's going to be, game three is the game I'm worried most about from a pitching standpoint, because Corey Kluber's had a little bit of a problem going more than four or five innings recently. He's not exactly in Carlos Carrasco territory, but coming back from that injury, he hasn't shown that he can be sorry, no disrespect, Coach Mike. That's okay. But coming back from coming back from that injury, he hasn't shown us that he can be that pitcher that he was when he was throwing no hitters in April, and when he was going out against teams on a Sunday afternoon and giving you seven innings, sometimes even eight innings. No one thinks he's that pitcher, but if he can give you five, six good innings, that's what they need right now. And Robbie Ray, right now, is probably the Cy Young winner in the American League. Him and Garrett Cole are fighting for this last spot. It's probably going to go to Ray. Uh, whether they make the playoffs or not, because, you know, that doesn't, I mean, we saw Jacob deGrom win it. Uh, again, sorry, Coach Mike. We saw Jacob deGrom win it when the Mets were out of contention uh, in August. So right now, Robbie Ray is the pitcher to watch. And as much as I think the Blue Jays have better pitching than the Yankees, I think they have better pitching than the Yankees, Red Sox, and the Rays. And the Blue Jays right now are the team on the outside looking in. The Yankees do well against Hinjin Ryu, and they do well against Berrios, remember. They have owned the Twins since like 2009. Uh, and Berrios has been really the poster boy of getting whacked by the Yankees uh, since 2017 when the Twins and the Yankees started meeting in the playoffs. In the wild card game and the divisional, uh, the Yankees were 4-0 against them in the playoffs uh, since 2017. 2017 and 2019, they faced them. So Berrios is not, uh, not going to be happy to be a familiar face to the Yankees because it's uncharted territory for him and not something he would like to... Uh, like to be put into the gauntlet and, and thrown to the fire against in a playoff race. So, Declan, we welcome back uh, to the show our, our number one Yankee fan checking in, Lenny Fishman, who says not to worry, Yanks are on a roll, but also that the bullpen is so much stronger, and that's that's something to address as well. I'd like to just double back here for a second with with Ty on tonight and having Garrett Cole in your in your back pocket tomorrow, guys. You would think that the Yanks might be looking at this as almost a playoff type scenario where it's a couple of innings at a tie on. We'll, we'll use the bullpen tomorrow. We're going to rely on Garrett Cole to give us as many as you need. You know, even, even if they do get out to a big, gotta lead, go seven, gotta go at least seven. And then like you mentioned, Kluber. So it, it's, you don't want to look too far ahead, but this team is built that way at this point that whatever, you, you know, whatever you can get out of tie on probably after a couple of innings is gravy tonight. And then uh, you just get through this evening and and I'd have to agree with you, Declan, as well, that, that game three is probably the scariest. But if you get one and two in your pocket, you know, you're off to a great start. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think that, I mean, I have a question for Trez, of course. As a Yankee fan, would you say, would you sign, would you sign right now for the Yankees winning two out of three? 
Against Toronto? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd sign okay. it. Put it in front of me. I'm signing it. Are you fearful at all that this team could not, that could potentially get swept or lose a, two, a series two out of three? Um, when I say I'm fearful, I'm cautious, but no, I don't think that's happening. I think the Yanks, you know, they come into the series, Declan, um, six in a row, 10 out of 13. So I think they're on a roll. We've talked about it all season long, Mike and I, and also with you, what kind of role, um, what kind of, how streaky this team has been. They're on a really good streak right now. So I think they're going to go up there and get swept three in a row. No, I don't. Um, Folks listening, we want you to comment us. We want you to, um, if you have a question you want to ask Declan, um, put it on the board. We thank John, one of our usual commenters. Lenny uh, is always in there with a comment, so keep those comments coming. Uh, But I did want to ask you, uh, Declan, um, now Cole is going to pitch tomorrow night. If, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, we skip ahead to that Tampa series If the Yankees need that final game to get in, do you pitch Cole then on short rest, or do you take your chances on somebody else and make sure Cole is locked and loaded for that one-game playoff if you get there? Well, I think loaded is the key word there because that is definitely a loaded question, and only will you get that here such an in-depth breakdown of the potential playoff matchup. <laughs> we could have a five-way tie for the wild card, the American League wild card. No, that is actually that's not in happening. The Those teams it's in the West are going to drop out. I agree. I agree that it's not happening, but mathematically possible, that could be the week that we're looking at right now. But I, I, will, I will say this. It's a, it's a three-team race uh, between the three teams in the American League East. But to address your question, I would really have to see how Cole is feeling because we've seen Cole come out and he's thrown some duds, and a lot of it pertains to sometimes with elbow elbow soreness or sometimes getting off his rocker on his normal five-day start and rotation. You really want to have guys pitch on short rest when it comes down to October. Well, it is October 3rd, and they're playing the Rays on Sunday at Tropicana at 105. If they need that game and Cole's ready, they're going to go for it because the Rays are going to really, although they are clinched, they're always going to try to knock out the Yankees. Little little break here in the action just with the Yankees, guys, if I can. Uh, yes, Mets win game one of the doubleheader tonight. Francisco Lindor, three three RBIs, two hits. You know, hey, listen, Mets are out of it. Lindor starting to heat up, baby. 231 average. I'm That's sorry, what, Mike. You say on. something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I Could I have lobbed that one up? I know the U.S. Open is over, but wow. No, I just, I just had to. I just had to get that out of my system because, my goodness, uh, watching these million-dollar players perform when they're out of contention is just hard to swallow. So, anyway, we go back to the Yankees. Yes, back to the Yankees. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm is, sure that would be nice. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I hate, I hate to take a shot at you, Coach Mike. Go ahead. But shoot, I just shoot away. Funny. He's making 340, and he's not even hitting 240. Oh. That's a problem. Oh, what a line. Another, That's a burn. That, that might be the line of, of, of the summer slash early fall here, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, uh, Deck, I wanted to ask you about this because I thought this was interesting. Emmanuel, who we've got uh, coming up right after the break, I already asked him this question on his show. So let me ask you. Um, and I, I realize I'm building in a lot of ifs. If the Yankees reach the one-game playoff, if they should advance, 
Are you giving the start in round one to nasty Nestor, Nestor Cortez? Is it in game one of the ALDS? Not not necessarily game one. He said game one. Emmanuel did. Uh, I'm not going to go that far, but I'm going to give him a start. How about you? Going to give him a start in the ALDS? Yes. In the series? Yes. Yes, absolutely, hands down. He's been one of the most, most consistent pitchers we've seen in the Bronx this year for the Yankees, and that's the guy that I would want really to eat up some innings in the postseason. We've seen more Dom. I mean, we saw the best start of his career in Baltimore where he went six and a third, one run, 11 strikeouts. If Nestor can bring that energy into the postseason against other American League East teams that aren't losing 100 games, then yes, I'm excited to see what he can do in the postseason. I'll absolutely give him a start in the ALDS. And the other thing I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they navigate it, how Boone negotiates it, uh, Declan, is – what are we doing with Severino? Are we are we making Severino a caddy for one specific guy and saying, hey, listen, if Tyon, for example, gets bombed uh, in the second inning, be locked and loaded, Severino, you're coming into that game. How do you use Severino if you get to a first round? I think that's a great question. And, and, I, and I think an example for the fans, especially the New York fans, and I hate to keep bringing up the Mets, but the Mets did do that with Rich Hill and Carlos Carrasco. You know, hey, Carlos, give me three innings. Rich, you're going to come in and give me three or four. And they kind of do that hybrid stuff. What I would, How I would like to use Luis Severino is I really would really like seeing him in high leverage opportunities. I think he can be a nice reliever that can go. And, and this is actually a term. I know I said hybrid to kind of hybrid. Hyphenate the starts, really, for uh, the, you know, the caddy, the two, the two pitchers. But the hybrid reliever throws two to three innings. I like two innings from Severino in high leverage spots. He saw it in Boston. Uh, he pitched two innings. Uh, yeah, two innings, no runs, four strikeouts when they were down one, and then they came back and won over the weekend. So that's the kind of Luis Severino I like to see. So far, what we've seen is good. He's topped out at good velocity for someone who hasn't pitched since 2019. So that's how I would like to use him. Declan, I'd like to bring up Giancarlo Stanton, who is – you know, unlike some other players in town, uh, really living up to his contract at the moment. Player of the week, uh, he had 10. Let's see. He, he was fourth player in franchise history, Mike and Declan. Three homers, 10 RBIs in a three-game span against the Red Sox. The other three were Mickey Mantle, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth. So that is some some good company that he has. Um, is it somewhat coincidental, and, and is there too much made of the fact that he has been excelling since he really went back into the outfield? Or, or is there something to be said for him being more engaged in the game? I think, you know, I really believe that a lot of it does have to do with him becoming an everyday player in the outfield. We saw him show spurts of the guy that he could be back in April when he went on a tear. Uh, then he kind of, you know, injuries riddled him a little bit, but not too terrible. I uh, took an IL stint, slump, and then he's been kind of streaky. But since the All-Star break, he has been playing really well and like you said that's about the time where he started really playing the outfield every day and listen major league guys know this if if they didn't think it it played a factor they wouldn't have moved moved glaber from shortstop to second base uh midway through the year and maybe we wouldn't have seen glaber come down from 38 home runs and hitting two uh 265 in 2019 yeah and then coming down to 2020 and 2021 and just not producing 
Yeah, let me ask you about that, Declan. I know we're getting to it uh, a little late, and it happened a couple weeks ago, but we haven't had you on in a couple shows. So uh, were you surprised uh, by not by that they moved Glaber off a short, but that they did it this late in the season? Did that, did that surprise you, the timing of that whole move? No, actually, the timing didn't surprise me as much because I think Aaron Boone really felt the pressure of, okay, we just won 13 games and then dropped two out of our last 10 and went two and eight over that span. Things had to be done, and I believe it was the right move. I like putting DJ third and Geo at short. Uh, the Rizzo Voigt, uh, you know, little, uh, not platoon, but the DH first base, who's going to play every day, what they're going to do. Gardner's getting hot. But to answer your question, I know I was not surprised at all. I think it was a great move. I was actually talking about it with my friends early that day. I mean, because that error he made against the Mets was was, was so little league that I, that I couldn't believe that was oh. a major league shortstop that did that. And I was like, hey, Gio Rochelle is one of the best defenders in baseball. And I mean that sincerely. And he is versatile. He can play anywhere on the left side of the infield. Put him at short. DJ has been good at third. Put him there. And that's what the infield should be. Glaber needs to go back to second. Mark DeRosa of MLB Network put this when the Yankees got Anthony Rizzo. Moved everything around. They said, here's what the lineup should look like. And he actually had Gio Rochelle at shortstop, Glaber at second, and DJ at third. And everyone lost their mind. And this was in late July, early August. A month later, what do we see? We see that exact lineup that the Yankees are going to go to go going to go to battle with uh, in the postseason. We're getting lots of great comments. Keep those comments uh, coming, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to ask, um, if you want to ask. Declan, a question. If you want to save it till we get a manual on, we can do that. What was that comment, Mike? I didn't see it. Uh, awesome. That is our son-in-law, Coach Mike. Love you, Michael. There Listen, you go. We will take, we'll you take got the fans. family. We'll take the family love anytime we can get it. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, it's great. So Coming de- in from North Carolina. Nice. So let's put you in the prediction business for a couple minutes, Declan. Uh, number one, what happens in the series against Toronto? Number two. Do the Yanks make a one-game playoff? And number three, do they advance from there? Here's my prediction, and I want to let everyone know that there is no 19-year-old kid bias behind my work. <laughs> All right? Wait, he's 19? <laughs> Go ahead. No bias whatsoever. Objectively speaking, I think the Yankees can, cut, can stay hot, take two out of three against the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think that they'll do enough against the Rays to ensure they have a wild card spot. I think the Yankees are going to play the wild card game the same way they played it in 2017 uh, and in 2019. And that's going to be at home. Obviously, they played those games against the Twins and the Athletics. This year, they're going to play it against Boston. The chances of Boston getting the wild card to Fenway after this weekend, I don't put it to bed, but I put the advantage to the Yankees. I think the playoffs, uh, the one game playoff game, the Yankees are going to take down Boston. In their own, in Yankee Stadium, and move on to the ALDS. All right, Dak, fantastic job. So, according to you, uh, next time we're on the air, we should be smack dab in the middle of an ALDS, and you know what that means—more airtime for you, buddy. <laughs> that hey, listen, that's that's the best. I miss you guys enough. Uh, there's like a void in my heart, and it's and maybe there's a pinstripe, like whole aura around it that's missing since I've been out of the city, but I'm happy to be back. I love you guys. Thank you guys for bringing me on as always. Love to talk Yankees. 
Oh, uh, and I'm sorry about the mess, Mike. As listen, always. I, you, you're always respectful, and, and it is what it is. But it's it's great having you back. And um, listen, it's it's exciting being a Yankee fan these days, or even just a New York baseball fan. How many of us say, "Oh, you got to pick one or the other"? And I know that's a popular thought. But listen, uh, for talk show guys like ourselves, or really New York baseball fans, having one or both teams. In a playoff run is great. So all the best to you. Thanks for being with us, Deck. Thanks again, Deck. Fantastic job as always. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. I totally agree with you, Coach, and thank you guys. All right. Take care. All right. We're going to take a quick break on Spot on Sports. We're back in just a couple minutes with Emmanuel Barberi from WFAN. Hi, my name is Dave Crow proprietor of Belfast Gastro Pub in beautiful downtown Lindenhurst. We are the heartbeat of the village, serving exceptional dishes throughout the day, created by our executive chef, James Tomlinson. Whether it's to dine in our purpose-built outdoor dining area that seats 60 persons, or to enjoy a pint or a cocktail at our 40-foot mahogany bar. We also have a private catering room that can accommodate up to 60 guests. Love stories begin at Belfast. Attention all piano owners. Do you have an acoustic piano that's in need of a tuning, repair, or just a little TLC? Call Brad. Brad performs standard tuning, maintenance, cleaning, and repair work on your piano. Call Bluesman Piano Tuning, 631-681-9723. That's 631-681-9723. Or visit him on the web at www. That bluesmanpianotuning.com. That's www.bluesmanpianotuning.com. Or email bluesmanpianotuning at gmail.com. Now back to Spot on Sports with Mike Trezza and Mike Godone. Welcome back, everybody, to Spot on Sports, along with Coach Mike Cadone, Mike Trezza. We'll have Emmanuel Barbari on in just a minute. But first, we want to tell you about our new sponsor. It's Five West Barbershop, my man Pete. Pete is fantastic. I'll tell you, Mike Cadone, if he can make me look good, he can make you look good. Oh, that's saying something. He's got a lot more to work with with you <laughs> than he does with me. Uh, but I will tell you, Pete is a great guy, not only terrific at what he does, uh, but he's also makes you feel very comfortable when you walk in there. Um, he's a really friendly guy. Everybody in there is friendly. They're at 5 West Hoffman Avenue. You see the outside of his shot of his shop right there with his buddy's classic car parked out front uh stop in or give him a call at 631-450-4129 that's five west barbershop located at five west hoffman avenue in lindenhurst and by the way mike they're right across the street from um from belfast from belfast so I want you to stop in. Well, how, yeah, okay. Get yourself a nice haircut. Yes. Then jump across the street to Belfast. Get yourself a pint. Come down to the South Shore, Michael. Come on. As a Malloy College grad, I spent a lot of time in Nassau on the South Shore. Um, so I'm definitely willing to take the ride and go over there. Um, maybe what I can do is 
get the cut, get the fresh cut, there go to Belfast, meet the wife, go. and but keep that quiet so that uh, it's a surprise. But what what a better place to be right there across from such a, a wonderful established establishment like Belfast. Yeah, so uh, we got a treat for you now, folks. We've got a special guest who's ready to join us on Zoom. Um, you hear him now overnights on WFAN. He joins us now. He's WFAN's newest overnight host. He's uh, kind enough to give us a few minutes. Emmanuel Barberi, they call him the E-Man. E-Man, Trez and Coach Mike, how are you tonight? Trez, Coach, thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me. Well, it's our pleasure. It's great to have you. So I don't know if you heard any of what we were talking about uh, with Declan, uh, E-Man. We were talking about the Yankees and um, this stretch of games against Toronto for the next few nights and also the weekend series coming into uh, this weekend against uh, at home against Tampa. How do you see those, those series shaping up? It's a challenge. You look at what's going on with the competition, the direct competition in the wild card chase, and the Yankees far and away have the biggest challenge this week. And I don't necessarily love the narrative that once they get to the weekend against Tampa, that's an easy series. Tampa, if they have an opportunity to knock the Yankees off their pedestal a little bit, there's no love loss there. Tampa could still be playing for home field in the American League throughout the playoffs. So these are two really tough series against two really tough teams. And really what you need from a Yankee perspective are two series wins. You can't fall flat in either of these because while you have the two-game lead over the Blue Jays now, one over the Red Sox, you lose one series and all of a sudden it's evened up once again. So the Yankees put it perfectly after the sweep against the Red Sox. They haven't done anything yet. They just need to turn the page and, and focus on the task at hand, and that's the Blue Jays tonight. Yeah, 10 out of their last 13, six in a row. So right and high right now. Uh, my partner, Mike, asked Declan about Stanton. And I know your first point on your show on Saturday night going into Sunday evening, which I couldn't agree with more, is that the Yankee fans really have to get off Stanton's back and show the man a little appreciation, Emmanuel. Totally. I, I mean, it, there's little this guy can do to to warm up, to cozy up to the Yankee fan more at this point. There's always going to be a sector of the Yankee fans I think we have to accept now that that will never really come around to him. But you don't necessarily need that to make your ultimate impact. And I think a lot of them are just waiting for the Yankees to hoist that next trophy before they have any sort of acceptance towards what he's done. Because when he's been on the field, and that's a key word, when – He's been as productive as you could have hoped. And this year, every single time he's been up in, in one of those key moments, one of those big spots where you really need him to produce, it always seems like he's coming through. And that really came to a head against Boston. And like you guys put it, a historic series. You're talking about the likes of DiMaggio when you're talking about Giancarlo Stanton and what he did at Boston. Emmanuel, again, welcome to the program. We really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thank you. Um, a question I, I hate to to be a naysayer, but uh, let's say that there is a uh, a not great ending to the season for the Yankees, or uh, maybe they, they lose in the playoff or whatever. Um, so many opinions about making wholesale changes, or do we change the manager? You know, do we go a different direction, even with the general manager? Do you feel, or do you see anything happening within the Yankees that if it doesn't turn out the way Yankee fans are looking for, that wholesale changes, number one, are needed, or will they just be done for the sake of change? My gut tells me no across the board that there won't be wholesale changes made, but 
the only way I could entertain that and the only way I realistically see something happening is they fall flat this week. They completely miss the playoffs in a year that had to be a at least World Series appearance or bust type year. They miss the playoffs. Then I think everything's on the table, right? You could have maybe an overreaction from ownership. It's been four or five years now with this group, with this core that they've been after this championship. So that's the one scenario where I could see it happening. I don't see them firing Cashman if they go to the ALDS and lose. I don't see them parting with Boone if they go to the ALDS or ALCS and lose. Now, if we're going to entertain that as fans, if like we like to ponder all these things, I think you have to consider it more in the context of roster construction. If there is to change to be made, why are you parting with Boone when whoever you install in place of him is going to be a very similar type figure? You know, a, a sure. happy-go-lucky guy who's going to tow the company line, is going to collaborate with the analytics department. That's how all the high-profile teams in baseball work now. So I'm not on board with firing Cashman right now. But if a change is to be made, I think that's the only change you can make, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've never been a big believer in change for change's sake. And I, I know we're in New York, we're in, in, in the largest market in the world, and these things are entertained. Um, you know, a little bit about me, I, I share, again, I hate to admit it this time of year, but as a Met fan, um, you know, stability is something that we crave. So whatever whatever is going on in the Bronx, we always keep a, a close eye on. But um, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of why fire a guy in Aaron Boone when it's really about making a little bit more changes on the field as opposed to off the field. Totally. And I think we talk a lot about leashes in New York and we'll get to football coming up in a little bit too. <laughs> uh, like every time a team goes, you know, all in three, all in four to start the season, it's always where can we point the finger? And sometimes you just have to accept it's a bad situation. There are changes to be made on the roster. You need to stay the course. You need to be a little bit patient. And, it, and it's bad because we don't want to be patient, but it, you know, there's always a finger that needs to be pointed because we want something to complain about. We want a tangible reason why this is happening, sure. but really what's happened this year is, and you can put this on Boone if you want, but it, you know, six of the nine players in the lineup that you relied upon are having down years. Judge and Stanton are really the only two guys who are, who are playing like they should. And it's funny because this is the first time they've been together and produced at the same time. And everyone else is kind of, tapered off while they've done that. Hey, Emmanuel, I asked uh, Declan this question uh, only because I was a little bit surprised that this late in the season, we were bringing Tyon back for a start. Um, were you surprised at all by that? What do you expect from him tonight? What do you expect from him um, in his next and last start of the season? And if he should have a lot of problems and the Yanks do make the playoffs in advance, do you see him as being in the rotation, out of the rotation? What do you see about Tyon? It's a really good point. I think the only reason you can fathom is what you just alluded to, the playoffs. This isn't a we-need-to-win-this-game type move, which the Yankees do need to win this game. <laughs> but it, it's about a week from now. If the Yankees are in an ALDS, they view Tyon as one of their guys. And – He's been that way for the entire season. He's taken the ball every fifth day before he got hurt here. He had a really nice second half of the season before he had a couple of rough starts before the injury. So this is more about if we're in an ALDS where the Yankees expect themselves to be, Tyone's probably like a game three, game four starter. So I think the Yankees view it that way. And if he can't pitch a game in the final game of the season, final week of the season, and then line himself up for that, then why are you entertaining it to begin with? So I think there's more a foresight type move by the Yankees. 
And I also want to ask you about the jumbo package in the outfield. Yeah. Uh, do you see that just so that we can get Voight's bat into the lineup and outfield regularly if they do reach a first-round legitimate series of Stanton and Judge and Gallo and uh, Voight at, at DH? Well, uh, and then, obviously, Gardner off the bench late in games. I got to say, I'd love to see that. I like the jumbo package. I love getting all the big boppers into the lineup. It, it, it's a tremendous lineup when you get everyone in there. But I, w- I think the way the Yankees see it is is totally different. They've kind of gone away severely from Luke Voigt the last week or two. They were They were trying for a while when they first got Rizzo to kind of appease both parties and get both in the lineup. Then Rizzo had the bout with COVID. So then Voigt had the extended stretch where – he was producing, and he was in the lineup almost every day. But the last week or two, I can only count on a hand the amount of times I've even seen Luke Voigt in there. And I think it's mainly because the Yankees, of course, have that attachment to Brett Gardner. They love what he brings to the team. They love the at-bats he consistently gives. And since July, he's hosted an 800 OPS. He's been a much better player, I think a three, 350 on base percentage. So you combine Gardner's leadership and his center field defense with the production he's given the Yankees of late, I think Gardner's your center fielder for that wild card game. I, I love the jumbo package, but I think Gardner's probably getting most of the run in the playoffs. Really good point. Manuel, I was going to bring up as kind of an older fan of you know baseball in my 50s, I've watched it, you know, 86 Mets. I, I was I was a senior in high school. So the the evolution of the game in the playoffs, especially now, the extra rounds are great. But something that frustrates me is that I, I think that managers can almost outthink themselves. And, and that's what the games last forever. And there's just they're plugging guys in left and right, quick hooks with uh, with their pitching staffs. So while it's exciting that that we have these kind of uh, scenarios going on here with the Yankees, hopefully, but also just watching postseason baseball, you see anything? Am I overreacting to that? That some of these games sometimes can be almost painful to watch because there's so much that you can do. And that, that popped into my mind because we're talking about this jumbo package, which to me sounds fantastic, but it's like, it's almost too many pieces. <laughs> I agree with you. There's a lot of depth on these rosters, almost too much depth. I look at teams like the Dodgers the last few oh. years, they're, they're running out like seven different lineups in a seven game like series. Fantasy baseball for them. Exactly. It's ridiculous. And I, I think I agree with you that you need to be a really, hardcore diehard baseball fan to stick with this I, I don't see this appealing to the casual fan right now and I think Major League Baseball is trying their best to figure this out what's the best way to appeal to the to the casual like exactly. the fan on a football Sunday who, who the NFL just appeals to because hey it's cool I'm watching football I think baseball has that same problem they're trying to figure out but yeah like the last few years I think the teams with the pitchers who can go seven eight innings are really the teams that that have succeeded uh, the Nationals in 2019 had the Scherzer, Corbin, uh, Strasburg combination. Uh, the Dodgers in in 2020 had gee, the laundry list of pitchers <laughs> that they're going to go back to the playoffs with this year. So while I think the the painstaking level of baseball that that kind of bothers us when we watch these games, it, it, it exists and it's there. Right. The success model remains the same. Yeah, I want to ask you. Um... 
Emmanuel, about the uh, about the bullpen. I think it's going to be really fascinating. Should the Yankees advance and get in the series, how Boone is going to negotiate that uh, bullpen? Because it seems kind of topsy-turvy that the guys that were middle relief at the beginning of the season now seem to be in very high leverage spots late in the game. I mean, we're talking about the Wandy Peraltas and the, yeah. uh, the Clay Holmes and guys like this. And it seems like a guy like Chad Green, who clearly has been overworked, he might be that first guy out of the bullpen in the fifth inning. 100% agreed on Green. And a big key here is going to be which Chad Green you get because there's going to be those few outings where every time it's a home run. And then there's going to be those few outings where he looks really sharp and his fastball looks overpowering. I think in a seven-game series, if the Yankees are lucky enough to get there, you can't be pitching green three or four times. By the fourth time, his fastball is its 92 down the middle. It's no longer 98-99. It doesn't look the same way to the batter. You saw it in 2019 against the Astros when they got him, I think, in game four or game five. It just wasn't the same thing. Some of these other guys are going to have to come into play. And the evolution of the Yankee bullpen has been pretty crazy this year. You expect it to come into the year with the same firepower at the back end with with Britton and Chapman. Even a guy like Darren O'Day was expected to be a big part of this bullpen. He, of course, dropped off out for the year. Britton out for the year. The biggest disappointment in the bullpen, not having him. Green hasn't been the same. He's been very streaky. So Holmes and Peralta are huge. Holmes has been outrageous. He's been the best deadline acquisition when you think about your production. And I think the other pieces that are just getting back now are going to be the most important in how the Yankees ultimately wind up. Severino could be a back innings guy, seventh and eighth inning. And you just, you you throw him out there and and say, give me six, seven, eight outs. Uh, Domingo Herman could be used in the same light. And Jonathan Loisco is obviously the best Yankee reliever for a vast majority of the season. The Yankees will love to have him back. So those three flamethrowing righties, I think, will be huge in those middle innings. And then, of course, just like the question we're asking with Green, which role does Chapman do you get? Because the Yankees have been a roller coaster. He's been the ultimate roller coaster this year. <laughs> yes, he has. Yes, he has. And, and which which Gary Sanchez do you get as well? <laughs> right? You can ask that question about like 80% of the roster, right? <laughs> Very That's true. why we're here, right? Yeah. Um, before we spend a few minutes on football, Emmanuel, I wanted to just uh, ask you uh, a couple things about your background. Uh, now, you come out of that great Fordham program, uh, guys like Rucco and Spiro recently. If you want to trace the lineage back to guys like Mike Breen and Michael Kay. And at, over at Fordham, I understand you worked with a guy who at one time was my mentor, Mr. Bob Ahrens. Yeah, an incredible man, an incredible mentor, came to Fordham and FUV, uh, the flagship radio station, and really a music station to the greater tri-state area, but that great sports department, the hidden gem there, and and took the reins from Marty Glickman for, for 20 years, and as you mentioned, the names, developed the likes of some of the best broadcasters in the area. Bob, such an exacting mentor, as you well know, Trez, and, <laughs> and, and really expected the best from... Whatever he put together, whatever he put his hands on, tried to put together the best professional product. So Bob's been such an inspirational figure in my life and and really it became a cycle. It became that that lineage and tree where you you kind of have Bob teaching you the craft, teaching you broadcasting, you know, taking you under the proverbial wing. And then the alumni and the the great people who have come through the program are 
are what makes and keeps Fordham so strong because they're so willing to to give back and to offer their advice and to really help that next generation of broadcast students. So it was really an awesome four years at Fordham. We had a question from one of our commenters, uh, Brad. He wanted to know, isn't Vince Scully, Vince Scully a uh, Fordham guy too? He is. He was the wow. first Fordham guy. He was basically the godfather when you think about Fordham and WFUV broadcasting. He was the first Fordham broadcaster to come out. And then, as you mentioned, the next generation after that, was those you know those K's and and those Breens and Bob Papa Chris Carino some of the major voices in New York right now all came around those seventies eighties era at Fordham and wow. it's it's really refreshing also just from from a standpoint of myself and I'm sure many listeners that uh, with the age of the athlete being the commentator being the person who comes to the talk shows having someone trained at a place like Fordham in the New York market. You know, to follow in the footsteps of those great announcers, uh, it's got to be very proud for you as well, and and just it speaks to uh, you know the training and education that you get from solid broadcasting people. Totally, and it's all that hands-on experience and those reps that you get while you're at Fordham, the feedback you receive while you're there, and when you step in uh, the the station for the first time, there's a special feeling. It's not only about the the higher profile per se alumni that have come out of there. Sure. That plays a part of it, but it's the seniors and the juniors that you meet when you first get there and how good they are. And you kind of yeah. look up to them and you That's say, great. Hey, I have a role to uphold some sort of standard here. And I think it kind of elevates everyone and, and makes them achieve their best because they see what what's possible. If you kind of put your head down and work hard for a few years. And I know you seem like a modest guy, Emmanuel. You probably won't want me mentioning this, but you are the first three-time, three-year-in-a-row uh, three winner of the Marty Glickman Award at Fordham. That's something that you got to be really proud of. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, that's an award at Fordham, of course, in, in Marty's namesake, where it goes to the top student play-by-play broadcaster uh, there every year. So, so basically, you go through – your year, you uh, if you're part of the mix calling Fordham football or Fordham basketball and baseball, uh, if you've done a certain amount of those games, you, you piece together a, you know, a three sport reel, let's say. And then it goes to a panel of judges, which is comprised of, you know, industry and executives, national play by play announcers, and they all vote on it. So it, it, it's a real honor when when your work is kind of credited by those people. And beyond all that and beyond the recognition itself like you mentioned it's just that feedback that you receive and the ability to talk to some of these people about how you can get better as a broadcaster and i think three years in a row that was an awesome thing to be a part of yeah that's great so Fantastic. um let's talk about the gig at fan you mentioned to me you started as a producer on the overnight show back when tony page was still doing overnights and when did you finally get the shot um to get on the air there for the first time yeah, definitely. So summer 2018, I interned there. And after that summer, I was offered a, a part-time position, a freelance position where, you know, you, you do some tape opping, you cut some highlights, you cut some posting, post-game sound, pick up a lot of those shifts, all hours, and then you train on the board. And then once you can do the board, you can work a variety of shifts, you train on different shifts, then you can produce. So kind of a natural progression in, in the production realm of things there. And the first person I, I ran the board for was Tony Page, a <laughs> uh, great overnight host and a class act. I, I actually 
I think I was part of his penultimate show, which was his final Saturday night show before he finally signed off uh, for the final time on FAN. So that was a special thing to be a part of. Produced a lot for guys like uh, Jastrzemski and, and Sal Licata, a lot of the evening and night hosts at the fan, and then filled in on some day shifts as well. So I've done that a lot the last few years and then got my first opportunity last month to host my first overnight show. So in addition to all the producing I'm doing now, I'm getting the opportunity uh, to do a couple of shows, which has been incredible. And uh, it gives you a new perspective getting behind the mic on the other side about uh, what those guys do. And it also gives you a fresh perspective having done the behind the scenes aspect. You know, you you hear the elements coming back from break and you understand what a challenge it is to keep the show up and running and multitask back there. Well, now that we uh, talked about the good, the Yankees, let's get to the bad and the ugly, which is the Giants and the Jets, Emmanuel. Uh, Mike and I are both Giant fans, big Giant fans. We were so excited coming into the season. And listen, I mean, we're realistic. We weren't expecting the Super Bowl. Neither were we expecting 0-3. So let's react to that uh, loss on Sunday against the Falcons. Yeah, that was the unlosable game, right? That was the game the Giants had to have. And and you mentioned the expectations entering the year. It's not like anyone was expecting preposterous things, but this had to be the year where you at least competed. And really, a lot of fans expected them to go out and win the division, regardless of what that entailed record-wise. And starting 0-2, the manner in which they lost those games, being so close against Washington, basically shooting yourself in the foot to not win that game – that had to be a bounce back game. I didn't like the phrase get right game because you got to win some games before you call it a get right game, a bounce back game. The the Giants and the Falcons, you know, those are two not good football teams right now. So you couldn't have entered that game with sky high expectations like the Falcons are this brutal team. We need a steamroll, but you at least expected a, a modest effort. And it looked like every other Giants game over the last uh, several years, uh, they were they were lackluster in the first half. They they showed life basically on on one offensive sequence, and then they just didn't do enough to give themselves a chance. And and when the Falcons got the ball with a couple of minutes remaining, you just the game was teed up. You, you knew exactly how that game was going to end. It just has to be frustratingly numb at this point as a Giants fan and. You really don't know what to grasp to because it's still in the early stages of the Joe Judge era. So you don't want to be calling for everybody's job after an 0-3 start, but it's really a helpless feeling, especially when you look at the next couple of weeks. This season really could be gone but in the, in the blink of an eye. And I think ownership kind of realizes that as well. You know, the Mara family hasn't been known as big talkers during the season in the past, but um, – you know, there was a story that uh, John Mara on the way to the halftime kicks over a garbage can, which is, is big news. Uh, but also, you know, have such a feel good story, right, with uh, retiring Eli's number and, and the ceremony and the fans are booing. And it, it just was so uncomfortable. And, you know, in three weeks, like as Trez was saying, to go from really, you know, modest expectations to just can we win this game or at least show a little life, especially in the offensive side of the ball. Um yeah, definitely frustrating for us, but also for ownership, it's, it seems. And now with the injuries on the offensive and defensive side of the ball uh, this past weekend, you wonder how many games they can actually win. Like this was the opportunity to get back on the right track. Realistically, although you hate to play this what if game, th- they could easily be two and one if they just played decent football. Like, you know, they didn't need to do much to beat Washington and to beat Atlanta. And they didn't do any of that. Now with the injuries they've sustained, you're just wondering if this team can 
can come close to what they did last year, really. You know, 6-10 and and competing for that division. I'm not sure if they'll end up, uh, you know, eclipsing that mark, of course, this year with a a 17-game schedule. But it's it's a really tough situation to be in. And, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, an awkward situation and John Mara – kind of going out of character to very much to, so. to, to show the frustration of, of the fans and to kind of be there with the fans. I'll ask both you and uh, E-Man and uh, Coach Mike about Judge. It seems like Giant fans are already, uh, after this love affair they had with him last year, are already growing a little bit impatient. Um, do Are either of you guys as Giant fans growing a little bit impatient at this point in the season? With Judge, start with you, E-Man. I think impatience the right word because I, I don't think I'm ready to to pronounce his tenure done or dead or something like that. It could be by the end of the year. Who knows? But impatience the right word because I think a lot of the things you expected from Joe Judge, a lot of the things he promised just haven't been realized. You, you know, it, it was never about having the most talented football team. That was supposed to come over time. It was about mastering the fundamentals. It was about being a disciplined team. It was about uh, putting out a product that the, the the city and the fans in New York could be proud of. None of that's really happening. You, you know, the, the penalties, the undisciplined approach, the too conservative approach, none of that fits the Joe Judge mantra that you expected. So when you look at the promises that were made and you look at what has happened since, you got to be growing impatient just with the product that's been put out on the field. So I'm not like done with Joe Judge, but I'm at a point where it, it better get better pretty quick or else – you know, there's just another failed regime. Coach? I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what surprised me as well, I was going to I was gonna mention discipline, and you brought it up because that's, that's certainly uh, the most glaring point with him. But even, even Joe Judge himself, you know, a couple weeks back, throwing a, a challenge flag during a time when you can't challenge. And he, he owned it after the game. But he said then he went on to say, well, I was trying to get the, the officials' attention. And it's just for someone who's preaching discipline and supposed to be – uh, you know, about the the blue collar work ethic and and being able to stay, you know, uh, focused under pressure. He lost it himself. And that, that's pretty tough when you when you're making your guys and your coaches run during practice and then you, you know, do the same thing that you're you're telling the guys they can't do. I hope he's out there running a little bit, too, or else he's going to lose these guys fast. Yeah, unless you, if you're going to preach the the wind sprints and, and everything that goes on to make this a a whipped into shape football team. You shouldn't let that go public and then and then put on display what they've put on display. You know, you know, you can keep that stuff under the wraps. You can try to get your team in a tip-top shape, but he's attached himself to this working class model. He, he's attached himself to the hard-nosed football and he wants people to know it. He's made it public. He talks about it all the time. So if he's going to say all those things, there needs to be some level of backup. And aside from a couple of instances last year where the team showed some progress but ultimately fell short, I don't think you've seen it enough. Again, I want to ask both of you guys this question. Speaking of coaching, uh, Jason Garrett has come under fire for being too predictable, too vanilla. We saw some of that go away after the Washington game because they actually scored some points and moved the ball well, and it seemed like their arsenal opened up a little bit. But now, once again, coming away from that Atlanta game, it seems like he's come under criticism. First of all, what do you guys think about the type of job Jason Garrett is doing? And is some of that criticism deserved? Yeah, everyone's wondering, like, like, is it necessary to part ways with someone like Jason Garrett? And maybe it isn't, but 
it would be a good start. Like, if you want to make some sort of change, why not start there? I think the most infuriating thing about Jason Garrett is is the Giants just have no offensive identity right now. There's no there's no mantra. There's no real substance to what they're doing. It's something different every week, and that something different really doesn't accomplish anything or establish anything. You're not a pass-first team. You're not a run-first team. And when it's a little bit of both, there's no competent mix. So I haven't seen anything that would indicate that Jason Garrett has any plan for what the offense is or what it could be down the road. And the Giants, for the roster they have, you'd think they would at least adopt a a hard-nosed run-first model and at the very least some sort of competent mix, and I think they've done neither. I almost get the feeling that Jason Garrett is not, like you said, maybe not so much that he doesn't have a plan, but he doesn't know what plan to really use because (laughs) – Saquon Barkley, unfortunately, hasn't, you know, he's playing, but you haven't seen the explosiveness. And maybe that's due to the the offensive line not giving him what he needs. But even some of these runs in the open field, he just doesn't look the same yet. Um, they draft Kadarius Toney. Uh, they tried to get him involved the other day. I've not seen much out of him. Kenny Galladay, first game of the year, is is yelling. I mean, it's like I, I'm sitting back now. I'm not a football coach, but I'm saying to myself, if, if I'm inheriting this group and I have to find the best – uh, game plan for what I have. What is that? I think he's he's probably just like spitballing right now. But you're you're very right there, Emmanuel. You have to grasp one thing and stick with it. Yeah, and I think you, you, like you mentioned, you got to go all in on that one thing. It, part of it may be the Giants trying to do something that they're not. Jason Garrett might want to be a, a passing offense, but the Giants are beholden to the fact that. You know, Saquon Barkley was picked second overall, so they they feel some expectation to live up to when, you know, that might that might have not been the most sound course of action at the time. So whatever it is, you, you need to lock in and figure out exactly what you are. And I think one of the biggest problems is you're figuring out what you are on the fly. That should have never been the case entering this season. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to be too player specific because we still have to get to the Jets, but there are two players I want to ask you about, Emmanuel. One clearly is Daniel Jones. Now, if I had told you that through three games, Daniel Jones would have exactly one turnover and the Giants would still be 0-3, you would have told me I was nuts. And the second guy I want to ask you about was a favorite of mine last year, and I got to tell you, I am down on this guy. Logan Ryan had a tough game on Sunday. Two missed interceptions, a big penalty, um, a big missed tackle, and I got to tell you, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of faith in my guy. Yeah, losing a little bit of faith in him. And, you know, the defense as a whole was the reason the Giants were even remotely competitive last year. And if it's going to continue like this, where you're blowing opportunities, penalties left and right, this is going to be a this is going to be a really long year. The games they were in last year were basically solely because of the defense. Now, on the flip side, you mentioned Daniel Jones. It, it is pretty baffling that that stat you just threw out coincides with an 0-3 record because I haven't had that much of an issue with what Daniel Jones has done. And I don't really have an issue with Daniel Jones as the answer at quarterback. I think he's showing you enough that he can be a quarterback on a winning team. All you really need is a is a solid, competent quarterback and surround him with the necessary pieces to win. But this isn't a, a well-oiled machine. This isn't one of those situations where you can slide in that competent quarterback and expect to win so I don't really think it's necessarily Daniel Jones's fault could he be better sure but 
you know, the Giants haven't won in the past with, you know, the best quarterback in the league. You dishonored Eli Manning, and everyone had that debate throughout his career, whether he was an elite quarterback or not. I think it's besides the point. He was a good, competent quarterback, and he was clutch when you needed him to be. And I think Daniel Jones can be that. But, you know, the surrounding pieces just aren't where they need to be. If you want to comment us, folks, comment us now. Uh, Emmanuel, the new overnight host on WFAN, if you want to ask him a question or send a comment his way, I'm sure he would love to uh, field it. Uh, Spot on sports, Mike Trezza, Coach Mike Gadone. Let's transition right now, Emmanuel, to the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson, um, six turnovers in the last two games. Obviously, he's up against it. Tough. He's got. an offensive line that's that's been a little bit leaky, not much running game to speak of. What's been your evaluation of Zach up until now? I think the biggest problem, and every every rookie QB you expect to have to be a little bit patient with, they're going to have that tough four interception game that we saw on display a couple of weeks ago. And the biggest uh reason for concern I've had with Zach Wilson is how overwhelmed he's looked at times Uh, like there's been no commands back there and uh, you know as a Jets fan all you wanted was was just something to write home about some progress something that you could that you could take with you after after wasting three hours of your Sunday uh, watching their game and there's actually been tangibly nothing to take away you you know it's been emptiness uh, from a Jets perspective so I think that lack of command and that and that lack of control of what's going on offensively. And a lot of that's not his fault. The offensive line is putrid, and and they're giving him no time to work with back there. But it it does make you question exactly what's going on here because they had the same problems under Sam Darnold, and that's why he got ushered out of town. And now you have the same problems with the new quarterback. So how are you supposed to get uh, a, a firm measuring stick of what Zach Wilson is doing progressing as a quarterback when everything else is failing around him and you're not putting him in a position to succeed. So it's really confusing from a from a Jets standpoint. Do you think the Jets are kind of regretting now not having at least a veteran backup to where they could just put him in and and allow, you know, Zach Wilson to, to step back and see it? Like you mentioned, a lot of it is not his fault because the offensive line is so so horrible. So this would be the perfect time. Say, hey, look, we're gonna we're gonna take you out now. It's really not you know, a, a product of, of what you're doing. It's more of let's save you here for a little bit. He's been sacked the most, I believe in the NFL and give him an opportunity to at least grow and keep his health here for a little while. They have nothing behind him. And I think it's a flaw with how some football teams are approaching it nowadays. You, you know, you think you, you tank per se, you, you have a horrible season and you get that number one, number two, number three overall pick. And you think, you know, just draft the quarterback and we'll move forward. I think the older model that would that we've gotten away from a little bit, where you address the surrounding concerns, draft your quarterback, bring in a veteran to to play and to kind of develop your system, and then have that system kind of teed up for your quarterback when he's ready. Sure. I think it's been a loss a little bit. And and people will point to the few examples of the special talents like like Mahomes who have stepped in. And, and done it pretty seamlessly, but you're just not getting that every day. So uh, I think the Jets have kind of lost sight of, of the surrounding problems they've needed to address. And it's part of the reason the Darnold era failed, because, you know, you look at what he's doing in Carolina, and it's it's amazing uh, what wonders can be worked when you put someone in a system that that's somewhat teed up for them. 
Yeah, I'm not going to get into those comparisons between Darnold and a kid who's playing his third or fourth game because those are silly and they're meaningless. But I think the question that is fair to ask, Emmanuel, so let me ask you, is did the Jets move away from Sam Darnold too quickly? Yeah, I think that's the question. I I agree with you. It's not about comparing the two because I, I look at it under the lens of, Darnold had the physical talents. He had the arm talents. We all saw it regardless of the mental mistakes he made here and there, regardless of his availability. We see some of those same things with Zach Wilson. You'd love if Zach Wilson, you know, had those same physical talents. So I I think what it really comes down to is the Jets just didn't surround Darnold with, with what he needed to be surrounded with. And regardless of what they surrounded him with, you know, Adam Gase was uh, – a disaster. I, I mean, it could not have been a worse pick uh, for that spot. So, you know, I think you would have sabotaged the situation regardless. But Darnold was set up to fail. I do think they parted with him a little bit too soon. I think it would have been worth uh, seeing what you had uh, this season with a new regime. But I do also wonder whether any of it would have mattered if you didn't surround him with with the necessary weapons to to succeed. Because and now, aside from comparing the two. You wonder with Wilson, you know, you're going through the you're going through the same cycle. And in, in three years, are we going to be having the same conversation about, you know, Wilson's now been through the the growing pains and the learning experiences. But where has that really gotten you? Because he, he doesn't have the team to compete with. That's great. And you know what? Uh, unless Zach Wilson was going to come in and and really light it up, no, no matter how bad the team is. I think it lends itself to the point you were saying where draft for some other need while you have, you know, a guy who at least can play the position uh, in Sam Darnold, give him one more year. You try to sure up the team a little, a little differently. If it, they knew even put injuries aside, they knew that the team was talent wise going to be a little subpar this year. So you know, if you're bringing him in, you really, really are betting, you know, betting the franchise that, that he's going to be the guy. And, you know, if not, you better have your ducks in a row going forward. Yeah, like the Jets uh, are obviously a, a big market team. They can spend big when they want to. Like when the Jets have the opportunity to spend in free agency, they have, at least in the recent future. And I, I always think back to the the best season for a Jets quarterback statistically in history is is Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> you know, so, so like uh, it, it's it's simple, but it's true that you don't necessarily need something special to to win football games and you can there's more than one way to skin a cat uh, if, if for sure. lack of a better term so you know Zach Wilson you can you can develop him all you want and right now i would argue his development is being hurt by not having anything to work with around him and running for his dear life on every play you know it, you could benefit from having a veteran QB in there with better surrounding pieces and then drafting the quarterback you need. I think teams a lot have it in reverse nowadays. I want to ask you one more on the Jets, Emmanuel. And I had Marty Lyons on a couple weeks ago, and he loved Robert Sala. Loves Robert Sala. Couldn't say enough things, nice things about Robert Sala. He actually told him, I've been waiting for a guy like you for 43 years. That's what he said to Robert Sala. So um, what have you seen up till this point from Robert Sala that you like? And where do you think the growth opportunities for him lie? 
you know, I think it it is a little early to tell uh, with Robert Sala. Uh, I think the reason why you're hearing uh, comments like that from a Marty Lyons is because he checks all the boxes and he he's a guy where he kind of walks in, he commands the room, and he and he gets it. He looks like looks like a football coach. So I, I think that's what's drawn a lot of Jets fans and pundits toward him. I can't really evaluate him that well so far, but I will say the one area where you know, you'd like to see a little bit more is you want to be extracting the most out of this defense. It's not to say the defense has been terrible so far. I think, you know, if the Jets offense was somewhat competent, we'd be probably talking about how the defense has overperformed against some of these opponents. But that's the one thing you want to see the remainder of the way. And I think it's the one thing to monitor is if the Jets are going to be competitive in these games, you want to see Robert Sala, who has a defensive background, really extracting the most out of that unit and making sure that the Jets could be somewhat competitive because they're not going to be competitive. Can they stay in some of these games? I think that's a, that's a testament to the defense. Well, Emmanuel, we didn't get to basketball, so if you'd like to come on again, we'd love to have you on in the middle of basketball season. We'll talk some Knicks. We'll talk some Nets. Terrific job by you, and we really appreciate you coming on with us. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. And yeah, anytime. I'd love to come back on. Yeah, thanks again for having me and great talk. I'm looking forward to some uh, Yankee stretch run baseball here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Fantastic. If biology permits, I will be calling you in the middle of the night again. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. You know, know, it's a tough readjustment of the hour. So as long as you can recalibrate the following day. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All the best. Appreciate you. All right, folks. So that's going to do it. Anything else for you, Mike? Well, you hit the nets. I got a lot to talk about coming up, as you know, uh, both both good and bad. Uh, but, yeah, it was such an exciting time. And that that young man right there, he's a star in the making. Oh, absolutely. Emmanuel's terrific. Yeah, we'll have him again anytime on Zoom. Hopefully next time we get him in the studio with us on the phone, any way we can get him. Anyway, folks, so we got into a lot about football tonight. Deep, deep uh, dive on the Yankees. We appreciate our Yankee reporter, Declan Krogman, coming on with us. We appreciate Emmanuel Barberi from FAN hopping on the Zoom with us. Uh, Great show. Uh, We're here at the Format Studio in Deer Park, beautiful downtown Deer Park. We're part of the J12 family of podcasts. Thrilled to be so. Our theme music spot on is by Mr. Scott Daly. Our logo art is by Valerie Hanatic, the Jets fanatic. Our voiceover guy is the amazing A, Archie Snowden. Our producer engineer is the great Michael Anthony. Thanks, Declan Krogman, for coming on. Thanks, Emmanuel Barberi, for everyone here at Spot On Sports, including the coach, Mike Adone. This is Mike Trezza saying we'll see you next time on Spot on Sports. Spot on Sports is brought to you by the Belfast Gastro Pub, where love stories begin. Located at 101 North Wellwood Avenue, Lindenhurst, New York.